what I want is I wanted, ultimately, I wanted people to know that they're not alone, you know, that everyone feels this way, um, that uh, I had this great thing happen and I still feel this way. Um, so they're definitely not alone. And I just want people to keep creating. This is Copper and Heat, a podcast exploring the unspoken rules and traditions of the kitchen. I'm Katie Osuna. Just an FYI, as usual, there's some cursing in this episode and some talk that might not be suitable for all ears. It has been an incredibly wild couple of months for Ricardo and I. So first of all, I just wanted to say thank you so much to all of you for continuing to listen and share and generally just being super supportive. It's meant the absolute world to us. We're in the process of researching for season two, so stay tuned for news on that. But what this episode is about is a little bit of a departure from the standard. It's awards season. The California Michelin Guide, James Beard Awards, San Pellegrino's World's 50 Best, and a bunch of others have all been released within a few months of each other. And as some of you may know, it may even have been how you found us, we won a James Beard Award for Best Podcast back in April. For those of you who don't know what the James Beard Awards are, They're often referred to as the Oscars of the food world. They have Restaurant and Chef Awards, held at a gala in Chicago every year, and the Media and Journalism Awards, which are held in New York. We won a broadcast award for Best Podcast this year, and it has been an absolutely surreal experience. In this episode, I talked to another James Beard Media Award winner from this year about some of the complicated feelings that come along with winning an award, being in the spotlight, and how we keep creating. This doesn't fall into the schema of dreams coming true because this was never a dream I'd had. It's not something I thought was in the realm of possibility. It's up there with getting a Grammy for flossing properly or winning an Oscar because you just had a very satisfying poop. Like, these things just don't exist. This is Geraldine DeRoyder reading from a piece she wrote for her blog, The Everywhereist. This year, she also won a James Beard Award for her piece entitled, I Made the Pizza Cinnamon Rolls from Mario Batali's Sexual Misconduct Apology Letter. Geraldine DeRoyter is an acclaimed author, world-renowned public speaker, and the voice behind the award-winning Everywhereist blog. While ostensibly a travel writer, Geraldine also writes about dessert, feminism, and Jeff Goldblum's entire filmography. Time Magazine described her work as consistently clever, and the New York Times said her writing was dark and hilarious. Her blog has received accolades from The Independent, Forbes Magazine, and The Huffington Post. When not on the road with her husband, Rand, Geraldine can be found in Seattle. I first read Geraldine's writing when doing research for our first season, Be a Girl. Her Cinnamon Rolls piece was a really interesting take on the whole Me Too, Mario Batali story. So when her piece was nominated for, and then won, the James Beard Award, I wasn't surprised. Then she wrote another piece after she won about imposter syndrome and some of the complicated feelings she had when winning the award. 
Ricardo saw this piece and shared it in a group chat with me and our friend Aaron. Aaron, who at this point had heard a whole lot about my feelings, said, maybe you should consider doing a whole episode about this, and oh my god, you need to try to interview her too. So I immediately wrote an email to Geraldine with the subject line that was supposed to be a joke from Aaron, but was too good not to use. I also won a James Beard Award and have imposter syndrome. Want to collaborate? Hello? Hi! Yay! And she did. Last night, I made cinnamon rolls. I'm not a huge fan of cinnamon rolls per se, but this recipe was included in Mario Batali's sexual misconduct apology letter, and so I feel compelled to make them. Batali is not the first powerful man to request forgiveness for inappropriate actions towards his coworkers and employees. He is not the most high profile, and he is ostensibly not even the worst offender, but he is the only one who included a recipe. And of course, the glaring question is why? Was his PR team drunk? Is life suddenly a really long, depressing SNL sketch? Do these cinnamon rolls somehow destroy the patriarchy? Does the icing advocate for equal pay? I figure the only way to answer these questions is to make the damn rolls. In December 2017, Eater published an article with stories from four women who had experienced sexual harassment from Mario Batali. The uproar was immediate. Vitaly being one of the biggest names in the food world. He was cut from the chew on ABC, more women came forward with their stories, and he was ousted from his restaurant group, eventually losing all ownership of his restaurants. In May of 2017, he appeared in court to face charges of sexual assault in Boston. After the first allegations came out in December 2017, Vitaly sent an apology via a newsletter, which, to a lot of people, including Geraldine, was a huge mistake. When the post came out, I was, I think I had the same reaction of everyone else, which is, what is this, like, this is the worst apology I've ever seen. So first of all, it's in your newsletter. Second of all, you're only apologizing to basically your fans, nobody else, just like, I'm sorry to my fans for essentially disappointing them, not apologizing or being, you know, held accountable in any real way for any of your behavior. And then you include a cinnamon roll recipe at the end, which is just uh, just so baffling to me. Like, read the room. And everyone is horrified about that gesture in and of itself. But we need to actually see if this recipe is any good, because if it's not, there's a whole other layer here. So I said, okay, we're, we're doing this. And... As it started to manifest, I realized this is going to be just a great metaphor. And I bake a ton, you know, that's my thing. And as I was doing it, I was like, oh, oh yeah, no, this is, this is garbage. Um, and, and so that just became just a perfect allegory for everything that we as women put up with. If you haven't read Geraldine's cinnamon roll piece, it is beautiful. It hits incredibly close to home for me as someone who has had to put up with the double standards and societal pressures of what it means to be a woman. Geraldine describes the process of making the cinnamon rolls step by step in a way that is familiar if you read food blogs, but laced with sarcastic commentary about misogyny. It's hilarious, but in a really depressing and infuriating kind of way. Here's the last paragraph from the piece. Batali's another drop in the bucket. He's not the first, he won't be the last. He already isn't. 
The misogyny runs so deep that the calls now come from inside our heads. We blame ourselves. We hate ourselves. We wonder if our skirts are too short, if our bodies are too noticeable, if we're asking for too much or not enough. We don't trust ourselves even when we should. We try to follow a half-written recipe and think it's our fault when it doesn't work. We need to undo an entire humanity's history worth of hate against women. Apologies are a good start. Just skip the goddamn recipe. So Geraldine puts this post out into the world through her blog, and it blows up. Martha Stewart retweeted it. Dan Savage retweeted it. Uh, The New York Times called it dark and hilarious. Pete Wells, who's the reviewer from the New York Times, he retweeted it with some really kind words. So, uh, and, And everyone was just so supportive. People were wildly sharing it. It gets a whole lot of attention, mostly in a good way. But of course, then came the Twitter trolls. There were just a couple, but they were so vitriolic. Just a couple commenters. Um, people were telling me, you know, they were calling me the C word. Uh, they were telling me I was a no good um, man hating drama queen. They told me to eat a bag of dicks, uh, which always, for some reason, that expression always cracks me up. I'm like, what does that, like, like the specificity of a bag of them? <laughs> And, and about two days after the post went viral, my Twitter account was hacked. So that was a super stressful experience. She was able to get her Twitter account back relatively quickly, but it was still a stressful and shitty situation. And then there was one piece of feedback that pushed her to do something that she never intended to do. Twitter is such a interesting uh, platform for me because like it takes so much, but it also gives. Max Falkovitz, I'm probably mispronouncing it. He was a former James Beard Award winner for wine, spirits, and other beverages. He's the executive digital editor for Savoir. It was really sweet. He tweeted, apropos of tomorrow's Beard Journalism Award deadline, if everywhere's cinnamon roll piece doesn't win at least one category, he said, I say we revolt. I just saw this in my mentions and I was like, I don't, I don't know what this is or what this means, but this is really sweet. And then my friend Naomi Bishop Tomkey, who is an amazing food writer and someone who is constantly pushing me to submit my work and to kind of just demand more from everything, uh, immediately jumped in the conversation and said, do it. And then Max sent the link. This was all on Twitter. And then Naomi sent me an email to follow up. And she said, you have to do this. She said, the entry fee is waived if it's your first year entering. And I didn't even know what I was doing. I didn't even know there were James Beard food writing awards. I was completely baffled by all of this. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it. A quick note on how the James Beard Media Awards work. The foundation started accepting entries back in October 2018. There were three main buckets, books, broadcast, and journalism, with a bunch of categories under those three buckets. You send in an entry for one of those categories. Usually an entry costs $150, but if you'd never applied before, they waived that fee. In March 2019, the foundation announced three nominees that were selected for each category. Those nominees were invited to the award ceremony held in New York, 
where they announce the winners. At this point in Geraldine's story, I tell her, No surprise to me that it won the James Beard, but obviously a surprise to you. I'll be honest. It was a shock to to me and the people who believe in me the most. I think we're also shocked. (laughs) Not that her friends, family, and readers didn't believe in her, but she was up against two other writers from major publications. There was no way I was. I honestly, I was up against Catherine Down from the New York Times and Nas Daravian from the Atlantic. So those are the two names, and then Geraldine DeRoyter for the Everywhereist. <laughs> so I'm like, well, okay. Even though the nomination was an incredible honor, and she was stoked to have been recognized, she had a lot of mixed feelings about going to New York. She lives in Seattle, so the trip would be long and expensive. Plus, she was booked to deliver a keynote address at a conference in Victoria, Canada that same weekend. So she was torn. I talked to a friend of mine uh, who's this incredible human being. Her name's Laura Lippman. She's a wonderful fiction writer. And I said, Laura, I don't know what to do because I can't, A, I can't afford to go all the way to New York um, for this trip. And I'm probably going to go all the way out there and then I'm not going to win. And it's going to be devastating, um, just because I spent all that money to go out there. Uh, that's going to be really hard. And, uh, so I think I should just stay home, but what if this is the only time I'm ever nominated for anything? And I think just going will be really cool because this might just be it. And she replied, you know, we were texting and she replied, this won't be the only time. Uh, and that, really got me. So Geraldine decided not to go to the Media Awards. She went to Victoria with her husband Rand, did the keynote address at this conference, and tried to forget all about the James Beard Awards. Rand and I were walking around Victoria by the waterfront and went to this little coffee shop and I was I realized that the awards were going on and I looked at the Twitter feed for a bit and I was too anxious and I said I can't look at this. And Rand goes, okay, fine. So we're walking, but he's still looking at it and he's watching the live feed. And they come to my category and they're... Next up, these are the nominees for personal essay long form. Geraldine DeRuter, everywhereist.com. Catherine Down, The New York Times. Naz Doravian, The Atlantic. About to announce it and something skips. And the Beard Award goes to... When they announce the name, but all of a sudden they show my name on, like, the screen. Geraldine DeRuiter. And Rand goes, I think you won. And I said, no, no, they're just flashing the nominees' names. And he said, no, no, I think you won. I said, no, no, no. And then there's a woman standing there, and she said... She's not here. She's not here to accept the award. That's okay. That's okay. And... And Rand goes, well, but they said the person who won isn't here. And I said, well, maybe, you know, Catherine Down or Naz Duravian isn't there either. Um, and Rand, Rand's looking at the Twitter feed and he goes, they just tweeted your name. And I said, yeah, they're tweeting the nominees out. That's what they're doing, Rand. Like, I didn't win. And he goes, but they're only tweeting the winners out. And they tweeted your name with the little James Beard Award icon next to it. And I look and I said, wait. I said, Rand, did I win? And he goes, yeah, baby, you won. And I, we're walking down the street and I just full on curled up into a little ball on the sidewalk. It's a sunny sidewalk. I curled up into a little ball and he was, he's 
just screaming. I like, we're both just screaming. I was like, I won a James Beard Award. He goes, you won a James Beard Award. I'm like, how did I win a James Beard Award? He's like, I don't know. So (laughs) we both just were howling laughing. I think it was just the most, it was happiness and absolute absurdity. What did you do when you won? Did you go? Uh, Yeah, we went. It was, (laughs) it was like very similar to your reaction. Like the nominees, I was asleep in the morning because I was like, there's no way. I'm just not even going to pay attention. And Ricardo was awake for work and he like just happened to open the live feed when they announced the podcast nominees. He like came running in and was like, wake up. Wait, they just said our name. (laughs) And I was like, what? And I just kept saying, what the fuck over and over again. And he like recorded it, obviously, because that's what he does. Katie, we just got nominated for James Beard. (laughs) What the fuck? Oh my gosh. (laughs) I was just laying here thinking like, eh, nothing's going to happen. He'll wake me up or something good. I'm like, nah. Is her name right there? It is us, right? It's not a different company. <laughs> so then he was kind of like, okay, we should we should go. We have to go because this is going to be huge. Even if we don't win, like, we can still go meet people and, like, see some new faces. And I'm like, okay, I guess. So we went. And then he also forced me to sit down and, like, write out what we would say if we won. And I'm like, we're not going to win. We're not going to win. And he's like, you need to write something just in case. And I'm like, no. <laughs> But then we did. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the James Beard Foundation's 2019 Media Awards. So let's begin with the nominees for podcast. The storytellers nominated tonight are redefining the broadcasting art form, and they're taking their love of talking about food to a whole new level. These are the nominees for podcast. I had a similar thing, like we're up against the feed, which is like Rick Bayless's podcast in Chicago and then Racist Sandwich, which I love. And I was just like, there's no fucking way because they are just so good. (laughs) And then when they actually said her name, I just kind of went into shock. And the Beard Award goes to Copper and Heat, be a girl. blacked out. I don't remember anything or saying anything. Oh, God. Okay. I'm shaking a little bit and not expecting that. (laughs) You can see me stumble my way through a speech online. I'll link to it in the notes. I still haven't watched the like acceptance speeches because I just like, I I can't bring myself to do it because I'm just like, I can't, like, I know that I just bought and everybody's like, you did great. And I'm like, no, I, no, I can't watch it. (laughs) No, it's too much, isn't it? It's too much. Yeah. I know that feeling. I can't watch video of myself when it's, when the emotional component is too high. Imposter syndrome is a hell of a thing, isn't it? Even when you're in it, I was like, they made a mistake. (laughs) They're going to send me a letter. It's, yeah, they read the wrong name. (laughs) They did the wrong votes. Like they miscounted. There's just no way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I know that feeling. Yeah. I know it well. Yeah. And then everybody's like, you need to wear the, wear the thing. Cause it would like, obviously it's that little metal on the the Yeah. Yeah. On the ribbon. And they're like, wear it the rest of the night. I'm like, no, I can't wear it. Like, that's no, I can't. That's no. It's absurd. (laughs) Just put it on. And I'm like, no. I went to New York a few weeks later for work. 
and that was part of why I didn't go. I was like, I'm going to be in New York later. So, uh, which is weird logic. Like, well, I, the city will be there. So what's the point? So I went and I actually got to go to the James Beard Foundation offices and meet their entire team. They all like came out of offices applauding and, and basically like presented me with the award and then asked me to say a few words like jokingly. But I flat out told them I have nothing prepared because I did not expect to win. So I'm very sorry. And they said, well, you have to wear the award the rest of the day. And I said, no, I'm in New York City walking around. That's weird. And they said, you have to. So I did. And I walked, I, the first thing I did is I walked to Italy, which is the uh, kind of restaurant, grocery store, metropolis mall that Mario Batali had to sell his steak in. So I kind of did like a victory lap around Italy and I was like, it's mine now. What's up? So, um, yeah. So, and then I wore it all around New York and kind of tweeted about it. I, I'm like, I am at the TJ Maxx on 6th Avenue trying on clothes with my award on saying, do these jeans go with my James Beard medal? Like I am being the big asshole right now. So the discomfort is there when something good happens. Um, the discomfort is so huge and you just have, I'm like, so you just got to lean into it, do what's uncomfortable. I want you to remember something that even if this piece hadn't been nominated, that even if it hadn't won, it still existed. My piece was written more than a year before it won the award. People are congratulating me on something that I created a year ago. The only thing that's changed since I wrote the piece and now was that I was able to scream, la, 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 over the voices in my head that are constantly telling me that I suck for long enough to submit it for the award. That's a quote from the follow-up piece Geraldine wrote right after she won the award. It was called, I have a James Beard Award and I think you are so great. And this post is how she and I connect. Imposter syndrome is real and huge. Yeah, the second piece that I wrote kind of was all about that. Just kind of all the, the big, awkward, uncomfortable feelings. And one of the things that I kind of wrote about was, which was important and weird for me, the work that was recognized was produced long before the recognition happened. And so you put this stuff out into the world and that's, and it's done. Like that is, the creation already happened, but all of these people in your world start, once the nomination happens and once the award happens, all these people start congratulating you. And for me, that was a very strange thing because I thought, well, at this point I haven't done anything new. And given that I wrote it in January of 2018, I haven't done anything on this particular piece in over a year, and yet you're congratulating me. And that was strange to me because it made me realize that what we create and the recognition that happens for that work are two very, very separate things. The piece that won the award and the piece that didn't, because in that alternate reality where I never submitted the piece and where I 
I, I never won. They're the exact same post. The article is exactly the same. And that to me was a really kind of profound revelation that, you know, everyone's out there working on stuff that they don't think is good enough. And everyone's out there getting rejections. Um, and it's just that one time that something breaks through and people see it that becomes this miraculous thing that everyone's congratulating you for. And it's like, yeah, but I'd already written it. When nobody saw it, it was still this great thing. There are some really complicated feelings when putting a piece of work out in the world, whether in writing, in a podcast, or cooking. Winning an award is incredibly exciting and validating. It is such a big honor. It is such a wonderful, crazy, humbling experience. I think it was validating in a very big way. And it shouldn't be, right? Like, it sh- you sh- shouldn't need that external validation, but that is how it works. And I think it's been validating in a very special way because I realize, oh, I can put stuff on my blog and it has value and people will see it. And I think that's been really significant. However, I am in a position of privilege where I can just write on my blog. And I don't need to sell those articles uh, with the same fervor that I think a, a lot of my friends and colleagues do. Something both Geraldine and I have heard a lot is this, wow, you were such an underdog and you won. We were both up against more well-established writers and podcasters, for sure. The James Beard Foundation waiving the entrance fee certainly drew people who wouldn't have applied before, like Geraldine and I. But both she and I do come from positions of privilege, which was something that we both felt like needed to be addressed, especially now when so many awards and media outlets are starting to consider who they're covering and why. Everyone's going, oh my gosh, like you, you did this incredible thing and look who you were up against. And I'm like, okay, like let's, let's be very, very clear. It is cool that a smaller blog got recognized. I write this post from my home office, which is dedicated specifically to me writing, um, which is in the, you know, second story of this beautiful house that I get to live in with a wonderful husband who supports and loves me. And, uh, you know, I have enough food to eat and I have electricity and I have reliable Wi-Fi and I am healthy. Uh, so there's all these things. And I need people to know that because I think if you don't keep those things in mind, if you suddenly start to take those things for granted, you lose empathy for other people in a very big way because you start to think that you've done it all on your own. And you start to think that things are very easy and that other people can do them so easily. And why aren't other people picking themselves up for their, from their bootstraps? And suddenly that becomes, that can be a creepy path. And I worry where that path leads because I think that path can lead down to some dark and hateful places. Like, why do we need social services? And gosh, why they're homeless. Why, why can't they just find work? That's an extreme example, but I think it can very easily go that way. And I don't want to be that person. And I don't want to share that message. 
Diversity and inclusion is something that not only the James Beard Foundation, but so many different media outlets and awards have been trying to address in recent years. Has it gotten any better in terms of different people from different backgrounds being recognized? They are trying. (laughs) I think that there is a concerted, conscious effort. And that wasn't there a few years ago. So that is important. That tells me that there is a trend in the right direction. Uh, You know, there was a lot of diversity in this year's winners. And I think they were trying to celebrate uh, smaller, newer sites uh, and smaller, newer outlets. And, and, you know, some big ones as well. They were, they were focusing, I think, on on really trying to broaden their horizons and really not looking at these same stalwarts of the industry, uh, it seems like a lot of the winners were people who would not have won a few years ago. I did a quick back-of-the-envelope tally of the winners this year. It was super informal by just going through the lists and doing some internet research for people who self-identify as women or people of color. But even that quick tally showed some interesting things. For the media awards, over half the winners were people of color or women, with about 20% being women of color. For the Chef and Restaurant Awards, again, over half were women or people of color, with about 15% being women of color. Yeah. What do you think? Because you're more, I mean, obviously you are more qualified to answer this question than I will ever be. Well, I mean, that's why it's kind of interesting because I come at it from like the food side and you definitely come at it from the media side. So like I'm just now kind of getting a glimpse into food media from not the restaurant side <laughs> and but it's it's very similar yeah I snaps agreed to everything that you just said like it is I think it is in the right direction for sure but there's still room <laughs> it's funny that it's always been so male and so traditionally white and male um and it is this sort of almost laughable hypocrisy there because, you know, one of the cracks that I get all the time on Twitter um, is go back in the kitchen. And I just got one recently. I said, go back in the kitchen. And I replied with, why do you want me to win another James Beard award? And uh, he deleted his original, like he goes, I just, and he actually admitted, he goes, I just got roasted. And I'm like, yeah, no, I obliterated you. So that was great. But the this has been a traditionally white and male industry. And it's funny because we think of cooking as like women's work, but suddenly when it becomes respectable and something to be lauded, uh, white guys take over. And that is a hard thing to break down. Like that is a hard uh institution to change. And I think attempts are being made, but really what needs to happen is the gatekeepers need to change. Uh, and that's starting. You know, we're seeing we're seeing that piece by piece, a little by little, but that's that's a long road. Yeah. We're, we're, I, we're moving, I think we're very slowly, it's weird. I say we're very slowly moving in the right direction. Um, and yet there are so many Nazis in my mentions. So. <laughs> what do you hope that other people gain from 
specifically your second piece, the imposter syndrome piece? I think with the imposter piece, what I want is, um, I wanted, ultimately, I wanted people to know that they're not alone, you know, that everyone feels this way, um, that uh, I had this great thing happen and I still feel this way. Um, so they're definitely not alone. And I just want people to keep creating. I think ultimately that's what I wanted, you know, wanted to let people know. And it's strange because it is, you know, it was a post, it was a message that I wanted to put out there for other people, but I also realized it was the post that I needed to hear when I, numerous times in my career. And it was the post kind of that I needed to hear right before I wrote the the piece that ended up winning the James Beard Award because I was just feeling really despondent um, about my career. I wasn't sure where things were going. My father passed away two years ago and kind of just the, the like, I knew that he wasn't, he was getting very, very sick. Um, and my dad and I had kind of this weird relationship. Like we never lived on the same continent, really. Um, so he always lived in Germany my entire life. My parents kind of split up uh, around the time I was born, maybe a little bit before, um, because my mother wanted to live in America and my dad did not. Um, and so I wrote this book and I had this realization that my father was never going to read my father, who was this voracious reader, who tore through books, was never going to read my book. And so I think on some level, I had this mentality of, what is the point? And I know that's silly, and it doesn't make any sense. And it wasn't a logical, conscious thought, but that was the thought I had. And so somewhere around the time that my book got published, um... I kind of stopped writing and I didn't really write for a few years and then I kind of would dabble in it. And when I wrote, okay, like the thing that my husband always said was when you write, good things happen. And, but I just couldn't do it. And then like I wrote the cinnamon roll piece and it started getting picked up. And, and after this award happened, I don't know what it is. I guess I realized that there are people who I can write for. And so I've started writing again. And it's not another book. You know, I've just been blogging. I've just been writing notes to myself. I've just been jotting things down. But I've been loving writing again. And I don't remember the last time I felt that. So that's been really good. That's been my takeaway from all of this. And that is huge. I needed people to know that the work that they do has value, even if you don't think it does. And that's just what I wanted the takeaway to be. You know, you you don't get to, to sit around and shit on yourself because you're not a good judge of that. God. Well, I mean, success, at least from my perspective, I read that and was like, oh my God, everything I needed to hear. <laughs> so, duh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy. That is really validating. That is really validating. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the takeaway. That's what I wanted. I wanted people to be like, hell yeah, I'm going to keep creating wonderful things. I'm so glad that you are writing. <laughs> so thank you. It's, yeah, it's, 
Thank you for putting your your thoughts and words out in the world. Thank you for reading it. Thank you for putting your thoughts and words out into the world. I really appreciate it. I just want to tell people, keep doing their thing. Keep creating. Because anytime, yeah, anytime people try and harass you, it's because they want you to stop what you're doing. So keep doing that thing. A huge thank you to Geraldine DeRoyter for chatting with me. If y'all loved her as much as I did, which I know you did, check out her blog, The Everywhereist, and her book, All Over the Place. Thank you so much for tuning in to our bonus episode. Y'all have been so wonderful and supportive throughout everything that's happened over the last few months, so thank you. Like I said at the top of the episode, we're working on getting season two started, but we're also working on promoting and sponsorships. You can support Copper and Heat by doing a few things. Rate or review us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Trust me, it helps. Share us with your friends. And if you know someone who is interested in sponsoring a podcast about cooks and restaurant culture, shoot us an email. Your continued support means so much to us. If you have any stories, thoughts, or feelings about working in kitchens that you'd like to share, we would love to hear from you. Record a voice memo on your phone and email it to us at hello at copperandheat.com. Or leave us a message at 208-718-2719. This episode of Copper and Heat was produced by me, Katie Osuna. Mixing and sound design by Ricardo Osuna. Our editor is Rachel Palmer. A special thanks to the Eavesdrop Podcast Network in Boise, Idaho for letting us record in their new space. Find us on Twitter or Instagram at Copper and Heat. Keep an ear open for upcoming details about Season 2. We'll be announcing something soon. Thank you all so much for listening.